Good evening and welcome to Direct Impact Broadcasting, the station of growth and transformation. Affiliate of Creative Broadcasting presents Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson with your host, Taiwana Wilson, as she welcomes her guest to the studio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Tidbits. I am your host and leadership mentor, Taiwana Wilson. I am very excited to have you all here in our virtual learning laboratory. We have another amazing mentor with us this evening. And I'm telling you, you are in for a treat. So do us a favor, come on in into our learning lab let us know where you are tuning in from. So say hello so that we can greet you properly and make sure you drop in the chat where you are coming in from. I always think it's interesting where our viewers or listeners, depending on if you're getting the audio version of this, where you're coming in from. And so we have a very special guest, like I said before, and I'm super excited about tonight's guest because listen, you want to make sure that you protect your brand. And tonight's mentor is going to show us and teach us just how to do that. So tonight we have Nazaria Hawkshaw. Nazaria, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for the lovely introduction, Taiwana. How are you doing today? I am doing well. I'm excited to have you on. I'm excited to see you once again. Here we are on two different coasts. Tell the yeah. viewers where you are coming in from, because I think it's important for them to know where our mentors are coming from. Absolutely. I am from sunny Los Angeles. Uh, so I am uh I, I don't want to say a typical Southern California girl, but it's that's pretty much what I am. I'm from Southern California. Um, and I have to say that I am envious of folks who are in the Midwest or from the East Coast because you guys get to enjoy winter. Like you get to see real winter on over here it's great it's it's bright it's sunny and it's a little chilly now but mm -hmm. i miss the long coats the boots the, all of that like all of the fun winter fashion that you can do on the other side of the coast we don't get that here in the west coast but other than that i'm from <laughs> los angeles <laughs> well we are definitely in our coats and in our boots right now. So I don't know <laughs> if you would want to partake in it or not. But before I read your bio, I, we do have a, a viewer that's chiming in from where I am here in Cincinnati, Ohio, Miss Diane Williams. So she's a small business owner. And those who are out there, please support her. She has an awesome line that actually speaks to the positive mental attitude for our young people. And if you're looking for shower curtains or if you're looking for journals or anything like that, bean bags, they all have positive sayings on there. And it's just awesome, especially for our young people. So if she can drop her information in the chat, but I think it's important to support those who are empowering our next generation of leaders. So 
let's get to our bio of our mentor. Listen, Nazaria is, is doing big things. So Nazaria Hawkshaw is a founder and an award-winning intellectual property attorney based out of Los Angeles. Nazaria counsels the U.S. and international clients on trademarks and copyrights, branding strategies, IP portfolio management, trade secrets, GDPR, and U.S. privacy law among privacy law compliance, among others. As a small business owner herself, Nazaria loves working with startups and creatives and has represented clients in the blockchain, coaching, cannabis, technology, design, and entertainment arenas. So listen, this lady is on fire when it comes to <laughs> your brand. So Nazaria, welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was that was really nice. I I felt that, you know, someone just gave me a nice warm hug and gave me a pat on the back for the work that I've done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so let's jump into it because I think this is an important topic. So let's talk about like, why is it even important to protect our brand? You know, a lot of us, we, you know, have our leadership tidbits or we have our mm -hmm. whatever is your is your slogan or your thing. You know, why is it important for us to trademark our brands or, or is it important? And, and what exactly does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Great questions. Um, and I'm going to get to them one by one. So first, let's start with why is it important to protect your intellectual property and what is your intellectual property? So intellectual property is anything that you've created. It's your own. So it could be the online courses that you create. It could be the products, the services, anything that you've created. Those are all your intellectual property especially now the way business is done with everything primarily being done online, the heart and soul of your business is your intellectual property. If you think about it, the value of your business isn't necessarily the tables, the chairs, the computer, or even the light that you're using. These are important tools in your business, but if someone wants to really evaluate your business or want to buy your business, they're not going to be interested in these physical properties. What they will be interested in is, okay, what have you created? Do people know you? Do people recognize your brand? If I buy your business, am I putting my money into something that's actually viable, that's actually scalable? And all of that is your intellectual property. So the easiest definition of intellectual property is it is something that is intangible, so it cannot be touched, but it is everything that you've created including your products and services, including your brand identity. This is all intellectual property. Now, traditionally, what has happened in, in historical sense for a very, very long time, women, especially minority women, have been told that, you know, your ideas don't really matter. It's more of a hobby. You know, you don't really need to take it that seriously. It's mainly for the men to build businesses, to build successful careers and you as women have to support your men 
And Taiwan, I see that playing out even now. To just give you an example, whenever you, I'm talking to a man about their business, they're very in tune with what their IP is. They know exactly what their intellectual property is, what the value of their intellectual property is, because they know it is something that's unique to them. It's their ideas that they're bringing into this world. It cannot be replaced. They get the value and they are very, very interested in protecting their IP. But a lot of the times when I'm talking to women, I see this hesitation where they, they, they have this they have this feeling of, is this even going to be successful? Is my business even going to work? Do I really need to even worry about protecting something that's not going to work? And this has been ingrained in us from such a long time that, okay, your ideas don't matter. What you've created doesn't really have value. This is more of a hobby. Don't think about it. The people have started internalizing it. And so that's why it's important for us to openly talk about why is it so important? One of the main reasons why it's so important for you to, first of all, understand what intellectual property is, and secondly, to protect your intellectual property, is because without your intellectual property, you now don't have a business, especially with social media, especially with online businesses. That is the heart and soul. So there are three main types of intellectual property, and we're not going to go through all three of them. For the purposes of our discussion, we're going to limit it to one to two. But to give you an idea, the three main types of IP are trademarks, which are there to protect your brand's identity elements. Then you've got copyrights. Copyrights protect any original creation. So a song, a, a, a melody, a rhythm, a piece of artwork, the content that you create, anything that is original, it can be copyrighted. And the third big one is patents. Patents are there more for technology, invention. If you're building something brand new um, that has not been built before, those can be patented. Those are the three main types of intellectual property. Now you can understand that whenever you're developing a product or a service, if you have a serious business, you most likely have, if not all three, you're going to have at least two of these in your business. You're definitely going to have a brand name. You're going to have a brand identity. This is how people are going to find you. So that's your trademark. You're definitely going to be creating original products or services for your market. That is your copyright. And if you are creating something innovative that no one has done before, well, then you have a patent on your hand. And all these different types of intellectual property they're all assets. They're actual assets in your business that have monetary value. So if you ever want to evaluate what does your business, uh, what can your business get in the market? If you're going to go get a loan against your business or if you're going to try to sell your business and if um, a third party comes in, wants to evaluate your business, they're going to look at your assets, right? And your IP registrations, all of this intellectual property that you have are actual assets with monetary value and they can assign actual value to it. They can say that, okay, your trademarks are worth X amount of dollars because your brand is known in the market or your brand is not known in the market. So it's going to fetch less dollars. Same with your copyrights. Okay, you've created this beautiful song. This beautiful song is going to get you X amount of dollars. Every time the song is being heard, it's being sold. You're going to get royalties out of it. 
So all of these are actual monetary assets that have financial value. So not only is intellectual property protection important for you to be competitive in your business, so other people can't just copy what you've created without your permission, but also if you think in terms of scaling a business and building a successful business, these are assets that you want to have in your business. So if ever you want to buy, uh, buy some assets and you need to show the bank or show an investor that, okay, I have this amount or I have these uh, assets available in my business, so I am able to purchase these other assets as well, you can show that. And there are so many other benefits that we can go through. Um, but to just give you a rough idea, this is the basic of what IP is and why it's important. Got it. That makes sense. So I know a lot of people, they go and they say, well, I'm going to trademark this. And this is probably a two-part question. You know, yeah. sometimes they tra they trademark and they do some of those services, whereas like a service now, then they, you know, do it on their own with the trademark. What are your thoughts around that? And then the second part of that question is in regards to trademark. So, you know, do you do just worry about trademarking your slogan or the so say for instance somebody has a logo so mm -hmm. should they worry about trademarking the the logo the design of it the uh the saying or slogan that may come with it at what point do you like cut off or do you trademark it all <laughs> like <laughs> it gets to be a bit much uh, now you know like okay yeah. what classes that do i want to, how far do i want to take this absolutely the great questions okay so the first question i i think had more to do with should people diy this um right. <laughs> because if they want to go and find out and the answer is you can there is nothing stopping you from doing it yourself other than the knowledge and the expertise that is pretty much it if you are uh if you're in the US and if you are not a foreign national, so if you are an American or if you're a green card holder who is a permanent resident in the US, then you can actually file your own trademarks. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. It's only if you're a foreigner that you need an American attorney to represent you with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. They cannot directly file. So in that sense, you can submit your own application, represent yourself with the USPTO. The problem is what also brings me to the second question that you asked is figuring out the classes. What should you trademark and what shouldn't you trademark? So trademark is not something that you want to take lightly simply because it's, it has actual real life consequences to uh, you know, your business, how your business is run, how you market your business, how you identify your business, how people identify you. So it has actual practical consequences there. The second thing is it is time consuming. Each trademark registration can take up to a year, more than a year. You know that Taiwan, we've been through the process. <laughs> it's a lengthy process, you know? So if you don't know what you're doing for that long, it's not the best place to be in. And third, and the most important part is understanding what classes you're going to file under. So you're not overdoing it. 
So there is a strategy and planning that goes on when, at least when trademark attorneys are trying to understand what is best for your brand. So like you mentioned, Taiwan, that there are so many things that you can trademark. How do you even go about it? So it all comes as in that strategy section is, okay, so legally speaking, you can trademark anything that identifies your brand. So that anything that acts as a source identifier. So it's your brand name, logo, if you have a tagline, a catchphrase, if you even have a unique sound. So for example, if you have a sound that plays every time your podcast starts, every time your video starts, and it is unique to you, you've made that sound. It's the same thing like with BBC World News. If anyone uh, has seen BBC World News, <laughs> I, I used to watch it as a kid because you know I'm from a South Asian family and we immigrated. So back in our home country, <laughs> we used to watch a lot of BBC World News. And literally, I could be in the next room, but if I heard that sound coming on TV, that music, I knew it's time for BBC World News. Like everyone knows that. We could all even mimic that sound. So that's a trademark of BBC World News. You don't have to tell anyone that, okay, the news is about to start because as soon as you hear it, you know. So there are all of these identifying elements of a brand that you can trademark. Now, should you go and trademark everything? No, you should not go and trademark everything. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> you need to first have a plan in place that, okay, I'm going to have XYZ brand elements. But if we are talking about small business owners, folks who are starting out and a lot of online business owners, you probably don't have that many brand identifying elements yet. Probably the ones that you have and the big ones, which everyone should protect is your brand's name and your brand's logo, if you have one, and probably your if, if you have a tagline or a catchphrase that goes with your brand. These are the three big ones that pretty much every business more or less will have. And the way you decide what your brand name is going to be is also part of a strategy. You just don't wanna start using a brand name, start promoting, marketing, spending all that time and money on a brand name only to find out that someone else already registered a trademark for that brand name. So then you don't get a trademark for that. You cannot get it. And secondly, you are now unintentionally infringing on someone else's rights. So one of the dangers that I've seen of doing this yourself or just trying to DIY is this lack of knowledge of the various steps that a trademark goes through before it gets to registration. I think a lot of the times people think, especially with companies such as LegalZoom, where they are like, okay, you can file a trademark with us for $49 or something like that. Um, and they think, oh, this is so simple. You know, why do attorneys make such a big deal out of it? The reason being attorneys have to take a responsibility when they take on your matter. We are liable. If something doesn't work out the way we said it would, there's actual consequences that we face. LegalZoom is not a law firm. They don't face any consequences. They can't even provide you with legal advice and they don't need to. They're not a law firm, so they're not even supposed to do any of that. So to a lot of people, it might seem a very straightforward thing that you just file a couple of forms and then you're done with it. But that's not what happens. You first have to understand 
that, okay, there is a process. The process is you just can't get any name trademarked if you want. This is, I get it. I get this asked so many times. Can I get this trademark? Can I get that trademark? It's like, no, you can't. First of all, we have to check to see if the name that you want is even available for use because you don't want to file an application blindly because you've just now throw, taken all that money and thrown it down the drain. You have no idea what's going to happen at the USPTO. We first want to make sure that the name that you want is available for use. We want to see if anyone else has registered a name that is the same or a similar name to yours. Because if the search results show us that, yes, that is the case, someone has registered a name like that, then there's two things we need to do. We need to decide whether or not the similarities between your brand and this other brand is strong enough that you need to rebrand completely. Or secondly, we need to figure out if they're not that similar, how similar are they? What is the risk analysis? If your application is submitted, how do we have to submit it? Can we tweak the description of your classes to give it its best shot of not butting heads with this other brand that's already there? So there's a lot of strategy that goes on even before we start putting your application together. All of this has to happen first. And when you DIY it, usually this step, most people will not take. They won't, because they won't even know how to do the search in the first place. But if you do want to DIY it, you can, but just make sure you know the, the different steps so you're not wasting your time and your money. And one of the worst things that can happen for a brand, which has happened to actually a couple of my clients and we had to end up rebranding, is they had started their business and it's been years. They never checked to see if there was any other business that had registered the same name as theirs. And turns out one of my clients actually came to me when this happened to her. She got a cease and desist letter saying, you are, you are violating our trademark rights because we've been a registered brand for X amount of years and you're operating under the same brand name, but you never asked for our permission. We never gave you authorization. So now you have to change your brand name, give up your domain, surrender your social media handles. And it's a difficult spot to be in for small businesses um, because in real life, what a trademark can do can have very practical consequences. Just think of it this way. If my client had just agreed, because whenever you see a letter from another lawyer, it's scary. No one likes getting cease and desist letters from lawyers. So if she had just agreed, she would have surrendered practically her entire business and she would have to start from scratch. And she would have to build an audience, find a way to find all her people, tell them, okay, now we're gonna do business under this name. But we were able to negotiate and come to agreement that, okay, my client is going to have time to transition slowly. So it's not a shock and she doesn't lose everything overnight. Um, so these are some of the dangers that you can face if you are going in it blind. So you can do a DIY, but just know what steps to take. Got it. So we do have Vicky. I just want to say welcome Vicky in. She's coming to us from Bellevue, Illinois. And then Christy, she said that she did trademark her business, her brand name, Christy Collections in 
that's who I was talking about earlier. So ChristyCollections.com to get all of those motivational items that I talked about. Awesome. But she did have a question. So her question is, should we trademark both the name and the logo or is it okay just to trademark the name only? So she does that. She has yeah. her logo. It's very nice. So she has her name. She got her logo. So, you know, what happens if she just trademarked her name and then mm -hmm. not necessarily the, the logo? Does like, is there a risk there or somebody else finds that nice butterfly that they can, <laughs> <laughs> they can start using it with leadership tidbits or whatever? Else. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a great question. Um, and the answer is, it depends. Uh, I, I know it's like an annoying lawyer answer that it depends, <laughs> but it, it really does. It depends on what your brand goals are. So, uh, Christy, if you are sure that this is the logo that you're going to stick with and you don't plan on changing it within the next two, three years, I would recommend that you definitely think about getting a trademark for that logo, because just like your name is a is an identifier for your brand, that's how your community, your audience, your followers will find you. Your logo is the same. Your logo acts as uh, kind of like a signboard that if people see your logo, they're going to identify that with your brand. Example, McDonald's, Golden Arches. It doesn't matter what country in the world you're in. If you see Golden Arches, those beautiful Golden Arches, you know that you're close to a McDonald's. So that is the power of a logo. Or think about the LV from Louis Vuitton or, or the, you know, the two C's that cross in Chanel. Those are their logos. It doesn't say their full brand name. Those are strong, powerful brand identifiers. As soon as you see those logos, you know, okay, this is related to this particular brand. So I'm going to get a particular type of quality when I buy their products. So your logo is the same. Um, if your logo is not that important to you in the sense you think that you might be changing it, you're not that sure, then I would say you wait until you're sure that this is the logo you want to stick with. But if it is something that you're actively doing business under, you're using it on your letterhead, you're using it on uh, the emails that you send out, the packaging, anything, when, whenever you're selling to your customers, you're using that logo to, to basically present your brand to them, then that logo should be trademarked. And another thing, if your logo has intricate design elements, so there's a couple of logos that you'll see that are very... They're very artistic. They'll have um, a lot of intricate designs, very detailed work. Those types of logo can also be eligible for copyright protection because copyrights protects original creations. So artwork, graphic art as well, logo art as well is part of that. Um, so yeah, you depending on what your logo looks like, Christy, you could very well be eligible for double protection. So if someone copies your logo without your permission, that's uh, that's two violations, trademarks and copyrights. So you can claim much higher statutory damages. Like to give you an idea for willful infringement of a registered copyright, uh, like intentional infringement, the court has discretion to award up to $150,000 in damages per willful infringement. So it's a lot higher. So if you have both trademarks and copyrights for your logo, even that's that's great. 
Wow. So when is it appropriate to use, because I know I see a lot of people, they'll have their trademark and they will put the uh, TM behind it. So when yeah. is it appropriate to use the TM versus the R for registered? And can anybody start using TM even if they haven't went through the process? Great question. So the R you can only use once you're uh, brand is registered with the USPTO. If your brand is not registered yet, but it's pending, you can use TM next to your brand name. So TM can be used even without a registration. TM just means that you are telling the world that you're claiming exclusive rights over this particular brand. Um, but it can also be used by folks that have already registered their brand. So TM is very vague. It can mean maybe this is registered, maybe this is not registered. But whenever you see an R symbol, like you have next to your brand name leadership tidbits, the R symbol means this is registered officially with the USPTO. Got it. Yeah, because sometimes you get misinformation and, and I've yeah. heard about the TM and they like, well, if you think you claim an ownership, you could go ahead and start using it. So I didn't seen a lot of TM <laughs> out there. <laughs> I yeah. just wanted to know if I come up with something else, can I just put TM and like like hold it um, like oh before I go, let me just hold on to it. <laughs> um, if you come up with another brand name, uh, you can you can definitely use TM next to it, but it's just not really going to have any 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 basis really. So I would say the best time to use TM, honestly, is once your application is submitted, at least that means that it's trademark pending. So it has a bit of a legal significance. But yeah, there is no rule, hard and fast rule against using TM. If you want to use TM, you can. Um, but just be careful that that TM sign can sometimes bring more trouble because if you use that sign, and there is another brand that has registered that same name and they have the right to use the R next to their name and they find your brand uh, just using TM, they will, they will have many questions. <laughs> they will ask you, you know, why are you using TM? Have you filed something? If you file something, I think we have to oppose that mark. So it can stir up actually more trouble sometimes. But um tm can be used by pretty much anyone there is up until now there is really no legal barrier but sometimes it can just invite some unsolicited questions and attention got it okay that makes sense so yeah. she did mention about uh should she copyright her designs and it sounds like that if it's of importance to her then yeah she probably should especially with the intricate detail Absolutely. Um, if you have a lot of original designs that you produce, those are very, very much eligible for copyright protection. The Copyright Office, the way they prosecute applications is very, very different to what the USPTO does. The whole uh, approach is different. The Copyright Office is a bit more friendly. Um, they are looking at uh, they're they're looking at creatives and encouraging them. So whenever they see original artwork, they they do want to promote it. They want to protect it. So if you have a lot of original artwork that you're producing, definitely 
I would say apply for copyright registration or if it is just in your logo and it's it's got nice design work in it, go ahead and apply. She said, and it does. So she said, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So we do have Lona. I just want to welcome her in. Lona is my fellow sister scientist and co-host of the Elaborate Topics podcast. And she's the founder of the Lab OPEX uh, training and consulting. So just want to welcome her in as well. So hey, Lona. Hi, Lona. So when you were talking about trademark and people getting in trouble, it actually made me think about uh, an artist. His name was uh, mm -hmm. Bobby Valentino. He's an R&B artist, but I guess he did all this touring and he built up his brand and, and made a ton of money and got exposure for under that name, Bobby Valentino. But there was somebody, I think, in Europe that actually had that name and gave him assist in the sea. So he actually had to start, I think when he toured in Europe, I think he had to change his name to like Bobby V. And so he mm. ended up, I think he ended up going with that overall. But that when you talked about that uh, story, that made me think of that where he built a brand as, as mm -hmm. Bobby Valentino. And somebody was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> 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 yep. Yep. That can, that can happen. And it has happened. Um, very recently, I would say like, this was probably two years ago and I'm forgetting the exact name of the artist, forgive me, but the context was there was, um, there was an artist and, uh, she was a woman, uh, she was a female performing artist for 20 years. She was singing, um, beautiful soul songs, R and B songs, and she would perform on stages under a particular name. So that was her stage name. And she had local recognition. People knew her and she had even toured the whole country. And it just so happened that in 20 years of her performing career, she never got a registered trademark for that stage name, the name that everyone knows her by. Now, fast forward 20 years, the band Lady Annabellum, uh, the, the country music band, they came out with a new album and like they had like other products that were gonna come out, a merch related to that album and they wanted to use that name. So I don't know what happened in the back end of this whole situation, but they didn't find anything barring them from using it because there was nothing popping up on the USPTO federal registry because there was nothing filed. They go ahead, file the trademark. And mind you, Lady Annabellum, they are a musical band. This other person, she was also a singer performer. So they're in the same industry. Lady Annabellum goes, gets the trademark registration and they start using the name. Um, and so there's actual consumer confusion happening in real time now. People are confused because if you type the name, all of these different results are coming up. So what Lady Annabellum does, or their legal team, they had a much be better legal team, I would say, than the, uh, the performing artist. They send a cease and desist to this performing artist that had this name for 20 years, that you need to stop because we have a federal trademark for this name. So you need to change your name. You can't use this name anymore. 
And I don't know, again, what kind of legal representation she had, but she stopped. So 20 years of career, it was gone because she had to surrender her domain, her social media handles, and the entire search engine was optimized in a way by Lady Annabellum, because obviously they have a great PR team, marketing team, legal team with them, that if you now search for that name, it's, it's only going to take you to Lady Annabellum, not to this other person that, has been, that had been using this name for 20 years. And this was an extremely sad situation. But again, it was a situation that showed you that you have to be mindful of what you're creating and the value of what you're creating. And you need to protect it. And if you are getting cease and desist notices, if you're getting uh, attacked in a way for using a certain brand name, then you have to take steps either to protect your business. You don't have to just give up everything you've created for this long, or you have to have a good rebranding strategy in place. So you don't lose all of your work because for her to just give up everything, that was it. People can't find her. And if people cannot find you when they search for your brand name, how are they going to pay you? So your entire business, your source of livelihood can get affected. So this was a very scary situation that a lot of us trademark attorneys we talked about. We said that, you know, Lady Annabellum's legal team was amazing. The marketing PR team, they were right on point. They knew what was going to happen. They went for it anyway. But this poor performing artist that worked so hard for all these years, just because she did not like, can you imagine, like, just because she did not file a trademark application and she had 20 years to do that, she lost so much. So all of those music albums that she had produced, all of those physical properties now were of no value at all because she failed to protect her intellectual property. So yeah, unfortunately, or fortunately for, depending on which side of the story you're on, Intellectual property protection has very real life implications on the on your on the livelihood of your business, on the lifespan of your business, and on its scalability. Like how far can this business go? Does it have legs to run? So yeah, I thought I would share that with your audience because this was one story that affected the trademark lawyer community a lot. We were all talking about it. <laughs> wow. And that's deep to go yeah. 20 years you know, of having one brand and making your living and having that be your mm -hmm. career to have it taken away because you didn't do your due diligence. Listen, if you are out here touring, you out here using <laughs> the brand, listen, make sure you trademark because you we don't want you to your scenario to end up like that. So yeah. I do have an interesting question because we have people, Lona and I are in the, the science, the sciences, and and so mm -hmm. we uh, you know, work for employers and have other friends that work for employers and they are, you know, developing products and, and all of that. So what kind of strategies or questions would you have for somebody that's, you know, in one of those fields where they could be uh, developing a product or something that's patent worthy, mm. but yet they like employ, like what kind of questions uh, do you have 
or should those people ask if they find themselves in that kind of scenario? I love this question. I really do, because this is a question that I don't get asked that often, but I have been <laughs> asked this. So if you are currently an employee and you are working full-time, part-time does not matter, but if you are a W-2 employee and you have an employer, please double check your contract with your employer. An employer-employee relationship is very, very different compared to an independent contractor relationship. Because when you are an employee, the assumption by law, the default assumption by law is anything that you're creating belongs to your employer. This is not the case when you are not W-2. So if you're 1099, that's a different story. But if you're W-2, please pay attention that you need to check the contract that you have with your employer. If you don't have any contract with your employer, then you want to first figure out and you want to ask yourself these questions is the product that you're developing, whatever it is that you're creating, is it in the same industry as your employer? Can it be competitive to your employer? If the answer is yes, um, then depending on which state you're in, you want to talk to a lawyer in that state to figure out your next steps, because it could very well be that that state has a law that by default, anything you're creating belongs to your employer. So if, if you're creating something that could be in competition to your employer, your employer owns it. So the competition is gone and you can't even <laughs> use that IP anymore. Um, but if you have a written contract with your employer, there's going to be sections in it that talk about non-compete. There should be sections in it that talks about intellectual property ownership and see what it says. If it says that anything that you're creating while you're working, while you're on the clock or you're using the employer's devices or equipment or the work that you're doing is related to what your employer does, anything like that, if you create something, it belongs to your employer, okay, then you have your answer. So you know, okay, these are my parameters. If it is a more blanket approach, anything that you create while you're working as an employee for XYZ company belongs to your employer, then there you go. Then you have your answer too. So, your, so the written contract will basically have these questions answered in them. But if they are silent, if there are no intellectual property ownership sections, there's no non-compete sections in the contract, then definitely speak to a lawyer in your state to figure out what happens if you invent something or you create something that's patent worthy, that's copyright worthy, uh, because you don't wanna create something and then find out that you actually cannot own the rights to it because you're working as a W-2 employee. That's good. That's really good because there's a lot of people, especially in the in the sciences and technology, that's, that's yeah. working for organizations that could find themselves uh, in that spot. So those of you who mm -hmm. are out there listening or maybe catch this on the, the replay, then think about that, especially if you're working on some kind of invention or something that is patent or copyright worthy. Yeah, absolutely. 
Nazaria, what kind of, I always like to ask my leaders, like what kind of tips would you give uh, to the, the viewers out there, the listeners out there, if you had to give one or two tips, because we always like to leave them with practical mm -hmm. tidbits, <laughs> leadership tidbits. Listen, I'm, I'm using my stuff. Do not try to use my stuff, people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, ha happy to share. Uh, practical tidbits. Well, one of the things that I can share with you that I learned in 2021 was the importance of having a good, reliable core team. Your team can either take your business to new heights um, and they can take so much off your plate that you feel empowered to grow your business even more because you know someone is there, someone's got your back. At the same time, if you don't have the right team members, it can drag you down, it can slow your progress and even hurt your business. So one practical lesson would be, be very mindful of the kind of people that you hire. Um, you wanna see if they're actually skilled in the field that you're hiring them in. Don't just go off of what is on someone's resume. Talk to them, give them tasks. And I don't know what's a what's a um, you know attorney way of saying this, but just you know, from business owner to business owner, what I can say is check in with the vibe and the energy of this other person. I am someone who goes very much on people's <laughs> energy. I honestly do. If I I mean, someone could be sitting across me and they could be the perfect candidate. And I learned this in 2021 because I made this mistake where I thought this person's amazing. Okay, I don't think we're going to really agree on everything or get along that well, but this person seems great on resume. Let me hire them. And it turned out to be a nightmare. And then I learned how to trust my instincts that no, if something feels off or if you don't think this is a person that you can share similar vibes with for a lack of better word or they're just not someone that you're going to enjoy having a conversation with they don't get you or they're not on the same wavelength that person might not be a great fit for your business they might be a great fit somewhere else but not necessarily for your business and when you have that gap in communication where you're not really getting each other that's hard it's really going to drag you down because you have to Something that, and I've experienced this again, I had a paralegal, amazing. When I had to replace her because she was uh, going on maternity leave, turned out to be a total nightmare because I just assumed everyone was gonna be amazing like her, <laughs> but it did turn out that way. I was like, oh no. So, you know, that's one important thing. Have the right people around you. It's gonna take you places and hire people who are smarter than you. Like this is something that I would say, because then you don't have to do all the thinking for them. You can give them your idea. You can give them basic instructions, but because they have the skills and the expertise, they can take your ideas and make it into something even more wonderful than what you thought it was possible. And you don't have to figure out every details. And while we're on the topic of team, as an attorney, I have to give you some legal guidance here. When you're hiring team members, be very careful if they're being hired as W-2 or if they're being hired as 1099. And if they're being hired as 1099, so as independent contractors, have an independent contractor agreement with them in place. This is important because like we discussed earlier, when you are an employee, the default rule is anything that you create belongs to your employer. 
This is the exact opposite to, to the rule for independent contractors. And this is uniform pretty much all across the US. If someone is an independent contractor, whatever they create belongs to them. All of the rights belongs to them, even if you pay them for it. Unless and until they expressly transfer over the rights to you in a written contract. So in your independent contractor agreement, you want to always have an IP rights transfer section. So you're stress-free. I cannot tell you how many times we start working on a copyright for a client. Turns out that the graphic designer or the ghostwriter that did all the work for them, they never transferred the rights. And here we are about to submit the application. And then we have to take 10 steps back, like, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. Then we have to tell the client, you don't even own the rights. So you can't submit this right now. We have to go back, get the permission from these contractors. So you can avoid all that if you just have an independent contractor agreement when they start working with you, have those sections in there. So anything that they're creating from that day onward automatically is getting transferred to you. So these would be my very practical tips. And that was good, because if you think about having <laughs> a VA or something like that or somebody that's creating stuff for you. Yeah, that was that was really good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so our time today is almost coming to a close, but I want to make sure that our our viewers, our listeners who will be listening to the audio version of this are able to get your contact information so they can get and stay connected with you. So how can people follow you? How can they get in your community and, and learn more about you? Absolutely. So you can follow me on social media. Um, my social media platforms pretty much have the same handle everywhere. It's at Nazaira ESQ. So at N-U-Z-A-Y-R-A-E-S-Q. So that's on Instagram, on Clubhouse. I recently joined Twitter because I'm now big and not big, but like I'm getting into the NFT space. <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm very enthusiastic about the NFT space. So I just started my Twitter, and you can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook with just my name, Nazira Huck. And if you are interested in learning more about um, legal matters related to running a small business, running an online business, you can join my free Facebook group, which is the Legally Savvy CEO. So you can go to Facebook, type Legally Savvy CEO. We're the only one. Um, and then, yeah, come join the community. Awesome. So Ms. Diane, go ahead and drop in your question in the chat. Ms. Diane says she have a clarifying question. So definitely sure. make sure you get connected with Nazaria, because she gives great information. I, I am in her Facebook group and I was just listening today because I had no idea what NFT was. <laughs> oh, okay. Is this what this is? So, yeah. So <laughs> it's a lot of things happening out there. And so yeah. you definitely want to make sure that you are, are in the loop. So Miss Diane's question was, or is, Let's see if we can pull it up. So she used a graphic designer to create her designs for print. She sketched it out and then sent it to the designer to create the digital design. Does she own the design or does the designer owns it? So she sketched it out, gave her 
her designs and they mocked it up. Uh, your designer still owns it. That's what I did with my logo, Christy. I actually, I drew it on a piece of paper. So it looked kind of weird, but it was a basic sketch. Then I sent it to a proper uh, graphic designer and then he put the finishing touches and made it look nice. And that was my logo, but I, I got the rights transferred from him just to be sure. So I would recommend that you have a, if, if, if this is an ongoing relationship where you're going to continuously work with her, then definitely get an independent contractor agreement executed ASAP. Um, but if this was a one-off or you're not really going to continuously work with her, but you're going to sometimes maybe send her one or two projects over the year, in that case, I would say that have a copyright transfer agreement ready so you can send it to her now and get the rights transferred for your artwork. So definitely want to have your paperwork in order yeah. uh, so that it, when it blows up, you know, you know how people <laughs> do. Like when they don't think it's going to blow up, it's like, okay, here's your design. But when you start making your millions, they're like, I'm the oh, one yeah. who actually did that. They'll that like, was me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They'll be like, hey, looks like I, I, you owe me some more, some more <laughs> amount of money or royalties, whatever it is. Um, yeah, it, it happens it, when you start making your millions, you will see people come out of nowhere. <laughs> so <laughs> be very careful. <laughs> Is, now, for that agreement, uh, is that something that you could find online, kind of find that verbiage or? Good question. So um, I will always tell folks that do your research. I don't recommend downloading contracts online when you don't know who made them, because when you're not a lawyer, it's very, very hard for you to separate the jargon the nonsense from the actual important parts in a contract so i won't recommend that you just download something if you see online um, but if you see that like for example i have contract templates that are online um, but we have we will send people there like if they come to us then we'll be like okay here's the website you go to and you get it from there so a couple of other attorneys have websites like that too where you can you can purchase the contract templates and those are at a fraction of a cost what it would be if, a, if an attorney was preparing it from scratch for you. So I would say if you wanna purchase them online, just make sure that the company is reliable and that there is an actual attorney associated with it. So if, if you even have questions, you can reach out and maybe they can review the contract that you've completed. Otherwise you're just, you're just going to be using a contract that might a might not even be suitable for you b might have language that's actually harmful to you and nazaria can you one more time give your contact information <clears throat> absolutely so you can find me on instagram that's mainly where i hang out uh, but i'm also on clubhouse on twitter uh, and my handle is at nazaira E-S-Q. So it's my first name, uh, N-U-Z-A-Y-R-A. And then E-S-Q is short for Esquire. So it's at Nazira E-S-Q uh, on Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse. And then on Facebook and LinkedIn, you can just find me with my name, at uh, which is Nazira Hakshah. 
Um, and if you want to join our Facebook community, you're more than welcome to. It's called the Legally Savvy CEO. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing all of this awesome information. You were you were awesome. And definitely, if you are, are looking for a trademark attorney and you want to make sure your uh, intellectual property is legit, uh, Nazaria will walk you through the whole process. She helped me out through that process. So definitely somebody that you should have in your network. So thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank you. This was so much fun. Awesome. And it, this was, and that, and time goes by really fast. It's I like, know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so much more to talk about, but unfortunately yeah. we, we don't have it. <laughs> so, so thank you so much again for coming and, and blessing our audience, the viewers who's watching the video, as well as those who will catch the audio replay. Absolutely. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. So thank you, listening audience. And before I forget, I want to make sure that you know about the upcoming virtual January virtual medical laboratory roundtable. So for those of you that are in the laboratory community, or maybe you just want, or maybe you're a friend of the lab this Thursday, we actually have our first roundtable of 2022. Uh, my organization will be covering your registration because I want you to be in the building. So I want you to be there and check it out and network. Sometimes you got to get around some people and this got a background that's different from yours. So you don't have to be a scientist to come. Our guest speaker is actually a patient champion and, and we'll be talking about utilizing the lab and how that's impacted his whole life with his diagnosis of uh, diabetes or kidney disease. I, I can't remember exactly which one, but come and join us. And so thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson. We'll be back here next Tuesday with another amazing mentor. Do us a favor, share this broadcast out with somebody who could utilize this because somebody's running around illegal with the trademarks so you might want to share this information <laughs> out to them so until next time my friends i hope you have an amazing day thank you friends for tuning in to another episode of leadership tidbits with coach t wilson where taiwana speaks with leaders who share nuggets of wisdom that you can use in your personal and professional life Follow her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Coach T. Wilson. Connect on LinkedIn or visit www.coachtwilson.com. And remember, in life, learn as much as you can, appreciate often, and lead fearlessly.